to say, but vivid traditions exist amongst us. Shakespeare has been in Fairyland more than once. But we are forgetting the music of English prose. The loss, the heartbreaking loss. His lip went down, and he drew out his pocket-handkerchief once more. "'Don't interrupt me again,' he said to Charles, "'because I will cry. It is a case for many and bitter tears.' He wept, and Charles noticed that each drop was like a little seed-pearl. They rolled down on either side of the fairy's nose, and pattered and hopped on the ground, as though they had been hail but unlike Hale they did not melt. Charles was much interested. "'Excuse me,' he said, "'but might I have some of those?' "'Some of what?' asked the fairy. The worst part of his weeping was over, and he began to give long gasps and dry his eyes. "'Some of those beautiful tears,' said Charles. "'Tears, idle tears, I know not what ye mean.' quoted De Quincey. All the same, he added, I know what you mean. Yes, you may have them, but they will be of little use to you. The tears of fairies are the seed of the flower Euphrasy, known to you as Eyebright. Of course, said Charles, it grows all over the moor. So these fond drops, said the fairy, and Euphrasy will spring up. Sometimes it is white, and sometimes it is purple. Experiment has proved that my tears always come up purple. I may mention that Milton refers to the herb in Paradise Lost. Neither spoke for a long time after that. Then Charles, who had a kind heart, and liked to talk of things that he knew interested people, asked the pixie what his book was, because he thought it would please De Quincey to talk about it. The work I am perusing happens to be a dictionary, answered the fairy. There is much pleasure and profit to be won from the pages of a dictionary. I have read every letter of the alphabet, and made a study of each, all but Z. You may have observed that I never use any word beginning with that letter. The reason is that I have not yet studied it. I know two words beginning with Z, declared Charles. You surprise me, answered the fairy. I should not have expected that. What are they? Zebra and Zany, answered Charles. Thank you. The zebra I have met with in works on natural history, replied De Quincey, but I cannot say that the word Zany is familiar to me. What do you mean by it? A chap who is a bit soft in his wits, who has got a bee in his bonnet. Capital, said the other. I'm tired of calling the fairies fools. Now I can call them zanies instead. It will make a change. Surely no fairies are fools, asked Charles with great surprise. I thought they were all as sharp as needles. Far from it. In fact, no more sharp as a rule than anybody else. We have just as many fools among us as you have, or the birds have, or the beasts have. Society of all ranks consists mostly of fools. We people with brains, I include you, because you know two words beginning with Z, 
We clever people, I say, have to think for the poor stupids who can't think for themselves." "And now," said Charles, "I'll tell you what I have come about. It was very lucky that I met such a wonderful and clever pixy, for if most of them are thick headed, of course they couldn't have helped me." He then told De Quincey about his father, and how he had changed. He also mentioned the meeting and the resolve that everybody had come to at it. And then, after we'd decided upon a beautiful present for my father to get him back into a good temper, explained Charles, the question was, what should it be? And my sister Unity thought that I should come and ask the Pixies. And here I am. De Quincey thought for a few moments. He had not the slightest idea what sort of present the children should get for Billy Jago, but he pretended he knew all about it. "'The problem is not difficult of solution,' he said. "'Indeed, I could have given you the answer in an instant. Many far more profound cases than this have come under my notice, and I have never had anybody find fault with my decisions.' But it happens that on the night of Tuesday next the Zagabog, a Z, by the way, visits us. The court is entertaining him at a banquet, and we shall have a very brilliant evening, with plenty of good music and some recitations and dancing, and a dinner of thirty-eight courses, embracing ices and the best of wines. Very interesting indeed, said Charles, but I'm afraid it won't help me. It may or it may not, answered De Quincey. That rests with you. The Zagabob, of course, knows everything. I suppose you were aware of that? I never heard of him, confessed Charles. And never heard of his agent in advance, the Snick? Never, said Charles. Then I withdraw what I said about you being a clever person, declared the fairy. I'm very sorry, answered Charles humbly, but it was no good pretending I did if I didn't. Not a bit, admitted the other. The Zagabog is easily the best, most brilliant, and wisest creature in the universe. What he doesn't know doesn't matter. Now I will tell you what I can do. Our leading statesmen, philosophers, and men of letters have each received permission to bring one guest to the banquet. You may come as my guest, and I have little or no doubt that the Zagabog, if I make a favor of it with the Snick, will answer your question. This is very kind, I'm sure, and I don't know how to thank you, dear Mr. De Quincey, said Charles. You may have it in your power to do me a service on some future occasion, said the fairy. It is not probable, because we move in very different walks of life, but the world is full of possibilities, as you will find when you grow older and more intelligent. We shall expect you, then, at 8.15 for 8.30. Be punctual, for the king is the soul of punctuality. It is his only strong point between ourselves. I will be there but it seems almost too much to have dinner with the king and the Zagabog and the Snick and you," said Charles. It is dazzling, no doubt, and a great experience for a human boy, 
admitted De Quincey. "You must not, of course, expect to be the guest of the evening," he added. "The Zagabog is the lion of the occasion. He has not visited us since 1704, the year of the Battle of Blenheim, in the reign of Queen Anne. You will come merely as my friend. But I may tell you that any friend of mine will have a certain amount of attention paid him." Oh, "I hope not," said Charles. "I only want just to sit in a corner and see it all. Or I might help with the dishes." De Quincey was much annoyed at this. "'You must come in the spirit of a guest, not in the spirit of a footman,' he said. "'You must be as grand and haughty as you know how, out of compliment to me. I need hardly say that we dress for dinner.' "'Of course,' said Charles. "'So do I.' "'Indeed!' exclaimed De Quincey. "'Forgive me for the remark, but I should hardly have expected that you did.' "'Always,' said Charles and also for breakfast and supper. I must make a note of that, declared De Quincey, because it is strong support of one of my most cherished theories. I have always held that to dress for dinner is a pure convention. Why dress for dinner if you don't dress for breakfast? Why, indeed, said Charles. There is no explanation, answered De Quincey. And I hope, during the course of the banquet, that you will take occasion to mention pretty loudly how you always dress for breakfast. Certainly, if you wish it, said Charles. I wonder you don't. I thank you, answered De Quincey. It will show that you possess the priceless gift of originality, and may add to your importance. Remember that when you arrive here, you wait until my secretary appears. I shall be too busy to come myself, for I shall be putting the finishing touches to the ode. But my secretary will be ready to reduce you to a reasonable size, and after that he will conduct you into the entrance hall." Charles collected de Quincey's tears in a bluebell. Then the fairy bowed and wished him good day. And good afternoon to you, sir. And thank you very much indeed for all your kindness," said Charles. The next moment De Quincey had touched his boot and said a magic word. Whereupon Charles shot up to his full height of five feet one inch. It felt quite dangerous to be so terrifically large again, and he found that to his human eyes the fairy's tears looked like finest dust. So when he got home, he sewed them in the garden, and stuck a label over them, and wrote on it, Mr. De Quincey's Tears, to turn into Eyebright. Then he called another meeting, and told everybody all about the things that he had seen and heard. End of chapter 7